0: Hey there, it's Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Cape Up. Buckle up, y'all. Auntie Maxine, California Congresswoman Maxine Waters, is on the podcast, and she's not having it.
1: I think he is a racist. I think he's a throwback, and uh, I don't mind saying it any day of the week.
0: Oh, you thought she was talking about President Trump? Not in that instance. But you'll find out who she was talking about and everything she has to say about Trump, including this.
1: We're going to kick his ass.
0: (laughs) So emphatic is Waters in making her points against Trump and Sessions and, well, everything, that you might hear her finger and ring tapping the desk as she makes each point. And you can hear them all right now. Congresswoman Waters, thank you very, very much for being on the podcast.
1: You're certainly welcome. I'm delighted to be on with you.
0: Well, I mean, you are now (laughs) this icon. You've become Auntie Maxine. Can you believe it? You've been in Congress since 1990 and all of a sudden,
1: boom. No, I can't believe it. And I keep wondering how did this happen? But I'm loving it. I love being called Auntie Maxine and having, you know, millennials and young people run up to me and want to take a selfie and uh, to recount something I've said recently. And I was just in um, Los Angeles and a young person in front of a restaurant ran up to me and said, oh, my God, and I was listening to what you said at... um, I guess an event that we had had, he said, Auntie Maxine, you said, we're gonna get his ass. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and
0: maybe, it's, maybe it's the realness, maybe it's just the, the rawness, the genuineness of you that's resonating with young people. Do you think that's what it
1: is? I think that's true. As a matter of fact, I was surprised to learn that a lot of the young people really don't respect politicians. They don't believe them. They think we all belong to this club where we uh, protect each other. And so they were absolutely amazed when I just started to be me publicly around this Trump situation that we have. And so, yeah, it surprises me uh, because I never thought about it that way. But I certainly did decide that I was gonna take the gloves off. I'm so offended by this president that I think it requires me to, you know, speak truth to power, to say it like it is, and to be as honest as I possibly can about what I think about him being the president of this country.
0: Well, one of the things, yeah. you, you've you said many, many things. I have two of them here. One was, I don't respect this president. Right. I don't trust this that's president. Right. Trust this president. Right. He's not working in the best interests that's of right. the American people. I will that's fight right. every day that's until right. he's impeached. That's right. The other one is, he's a liar. He's a cheat. He's that's a right. con man. That's right. And that's when you said, we've got to stop, stop his, his ass. ass.
1: That's right.
0: <laughs> so- you are the only member of Congress who is using the word impeachment, Yes, using the word saying he should be impeached. Yes, Why don't you think your colleagues are as vocal as out there in saying the same thing?
1: Well, I think that uh, many of my colleagues fear using the word impeachment because they think that it's such a huge thing. It is just, you know, someone would have to literally almost jump off the building and kill other people doing it uh, before you would even consider impeachment. But what what I am driven by is this. First of all, I tell people how much I respect the Constitution and how I loved learning about it when I was in seventh, eighth grade. And people look at me like I'm a little bit crazy. You love the Constitution? Well, yeah, I do. And I believe in it. And I believe that this president, has colluded uh, with the Russians, with the Kremlin, with the oligarchs, perhaps, of Russia to undermine our election systems and thus undermine our democracy. I do realize that you can't just speculate about this. You've got to connect the dots. You've got to get the facts. And that's what the investigations are all about. I'm disappointed in the House intelligence investigation because Nunes has proven uh, that he can be trusted and that he can be used by Trump uh, to try and cover up for Trump's lies when he talked about Obama having wiretapped him. Mm -hmm. And I thought at one point in time that the Senate investigations would prove to be more credible. But But they're not. No, they don't have the staff. You know, they're not moving fast enough. As a matter of fact, the media is doing more uh, to get at what has happened in this hacking and what has happened with the meetings between some of the Trump allies and the Russians than our intelligence people are doing and our members of Congress are doing. And so um, we need an independent investigation, a commission of some kind. But meanwhile, I want to find out everything that I can find out. I want to read everything. I want to follow these uh, members of his little uh, Kremlin clan, as I call them, uh, to find out who they are, what the histories are, who they are connected with, because I think this is very serious. And I do believe that if you care about this democracy, and and I care about it, and many of the people that I have, you know, grown up with, that I've worked with, and people even in the civil rights movement, have fought to make the democracy better, that fought to make it more equal. they fought to make it more just. Why would we let somebody like Trump, a con man, come in here and turn it all upside down with his lies and his disrespect? And so I personally feel very strongly about this, and I'm going to keep working until he's impeached.
0: Do you think (laughs) the Republican-controlled Congress would allow a President Obama to get away with the things that we have seen since Inauguration Day?
1: Absolutely not. And uh, there are a number of members of Congress who have talked about that. And they've basically said, can you imagine, as you just said, if Obama had said that, or if he had done that, uh, what they would have done? And we need but take a look at some of that. First of all, don't forget, this president criticized Obama for his vacations. And he didn't have that many. Now. He's taking an airplane that we pay for and he's going to Mar-a-Lago every weekend and playing golf every weekend. His wife is living up in Trump Towers in New York. We're paying for the security for her and their child up there and for him going down to Mar-a-Lago and to his other places that he attends on the weekend. And so, no, Obama could never have gotten away with that. That's number one. Number two... You know, they condemned Michelle Obama when she said, you know, for the first time, you know, I'm feeling good about my country and something mm-hmm. for to For the that.
0: first time in my life, in my yes. adult life, I'm proud of my country. Proud
1: of my country. And here, this president has said everything bad you can say about our country, uh, that, you know, we don't know how to negotiate, uh, that Obama uh, didn't know what he was doing, that he was a ba- the worst president He called him in the history of this country. Um, He keeps saying things about this country and describing this country as being the worst. And the only way it can get better is when he takes it over. And nobody condemns him for saying that. Nobody challenged him for saying that. And he's getting away uh, with these outrageous comments and these outrageous actions in a way that other people cannot do.
0: So, I mean, one of the ways to hold President Trump accountable would be if Congress exercised its checks and balance power that's given to it in the Constitution. But because Republicans are in control, they don't have any interest in doing that, which requires, I I would think, you and, and other people to put a whole lot of faith in the judiciary. Do you have that faith in the judiciary and particularly with the Supreme Court? And the new justice, Neil Gorsuch, are you as comfortable today as maybe last year with the power of the judiciary in its role in the country?
1: I am um, painfully aware of the awful position that Democrats are in in this country at this time. Not only do we not have control of the judiciary, and we cannot certainly be confident that we're going to get the right decisions from the Supreme Court, uh, given the imbalance now uh, that we have. But just think about the fact that the House of Representatives is controlled you know, by the Republicans. The Senate is controlled by the Republicans. The White House is controlled. And we have, as our attorney general, someone who's a throwback to the days of Jim Crow, in the South that we cannot depend on, who is already sending terrible messages. Jeff Sessions is saying he does not believe that our Justice Department should interfere with local police departments. We have to get these consent decrees in these local police jurisdictions when they are out of control. You take a look at Ferguson, and if the Justice Department had not gone in there, they would not have discovered the way that, you know, people were being penalized as they traveled through all these little towns coming into St. Louis and leaving out of St. Louis where they were ticketed, where they had warrants, you know, put out against them and where they were charged extremely large sums of money. And if they didn't pay it, they go to jail. I mean, but it gets worse than that. I come from Los Angeles and we had to have a consent decree. Mm -hmm. I worked through the time when Chief Darrell Gates, you know, invented uh, the uh, chokehold and the battering ram, and they targeted young people, and it was an absolute outrage what was going on. The Justice Department came in there, and they have worked with our city for many years with a consent decree to rein them in. But Jeff Sessions says that's no role for the Justice Department.
0: What do you think would have happened in Los Angeles? It's been 25 years since the, since the LA riots. What do you think would have happened to to L.A. if Jeff Sessions were the attorney general and President Trump were in the White House then?
1: I think that Jeff Sessions is very dangerous. I think he's a racist. And I think that he absolutely believes that it's his job to keep minorities in their place, that he comes from a time and a place in his history where this was the order of the day. And I think he would go back to that, uh, given his power he has now and his influence. And so I think we have to watch him. We have to keep an eye on him and be prepared to push back uh, when we see that he's moving in that direction. Whether we're talking about Los Angeles or we're talking about St. Louis or talking about the New York, you know, we have gone through some terrible periods of time where people of color were targeted, uh, where they had policies that would stop people, they would frisk them, and uh, they would easily handcuff them, put them in jail, shoot them, kill them, and we can't go back. I mean, we still are not out of that period of time. We're still wrestling with trying to get justice from police departments and from juries and from courtrooms uh, the recent decision uh, by the latest killing that is being talked about that happened uh, in Louisiana. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Alton where, Sterling.
1: Alton Sterling, that's right. Where they have decided uh, that the police certainly were not at fault, uh, that they were just exercising their duty, is an example of given all that we've gone through with Trayvon Martin and with Michael Brown and with all of that, we're still face with uh, the fact that police officers will not uh, be charged criminally for the most part for killing uh, people of color.
0: I got to bring you back to something that you, you just said, because it might be a little jarring to folks to hear you say, I think Jeff Sessions is a, is a racist. Yes. So, and you're emphatic about it, I'm even in the, in the re-asking of the That's question. Right. So how?
1: Well, Here's what, when we look at his history and we look at some of the comments that he had made, remember he said that he didn't really see a problem with the Ku Klux Klan until he discovered that they smoked marijuana, for example. Remember when he attacked uh, the ACLU and I think maybe the NAACP uh, because they were out? You know, getting people registered to vote in ways that he didn't think they should be doing. And then, you know, I saw something. I saw a picture of him doing the campaign where he had these people dressed in these antebellum clothes with these parasols, you <laughs> know, like in the
0: reenactment, the like yes, Civil War reenactment. Yeah,
1: but they I, they came to meet him at the airport. Uh Oh, yeah. And so I'm thinking to myself, you know, he really likes this. And this is not just, you know, a campaign activity for fun. He really is saying, I like the look. I like the feel. And so I'm very comfortable in, you know, bringing the picture of the antebellum South to greet me at the airport. I mean, I think he is a racist. I think he's a throwback. And uh, I don't mind saying it any day of the week. (laughs)
0: Well, let's talk about something, something else along this line. And that is, you know, President Trump waxed sort of poetic about Andrew Jackson and his presidency and you know what he would have done if he were alive how he would have how he would have stopped the civil war unfortunately the civil war started 24 years after his presidency and 16 years after jackson died i would just love auntie maxine's take (laughs) on what the president said in that regard
1: well first of all the president is capable of saying and doing almost anything and he doesn't learn from what we would think are mistakes Every time he's in an interview or he has the opportunity to have an opinion, he gets worse. And so he does not appear to have any caution. And, of course, you can't trust uh, anything that he has to say. But don't forget, this is a president who has had to pay out settlements because he and his father, you know, had a policy of not leasing to black people Mm -hmm. in their apartments. Uh, So... I mean, this is a president who said that, how did Obama, you know, basically get through college and get to where he is? Was it all because of affirmative action? This is a president who for years led the Bertha movement in saying that uh, Obama was not born in the United States of America. And so here you have um, this very, very rich man who has made a lot of money starting out with what his father gave to him, I guess to get him started in the development business. But it appears that he has conned people. He has not paid contractors. They still have contractors out there who are complaining about not getting paid for their work. This is a man that goes after money in any way that he possibly can. And whether it is cheating Uh, subcontractors and contractors out of the money that they should be earning for the work they've done for him or the creation of a false university a Trump university that's supposed to educate folks who are seeking to become realtors and developers etc they see him they said well he's successful he must know something charges him thousands of dollars and all of a sudden you know at some point in time they learn that They they aren't learning anything. He doesn't show up. The so-called teachers are not competent. And he's had to pay out a $25 million settlement because the attorney general of New York prosecuted him and, you know, forced him to have to, you know, pay these people for what they had been cheated out of. And so it's about his character. It's about his values. It's about a man who mimicked and mocked a disabled man publicly and then lied and said he did not. It's on camera that he's doing that. It's about a man who talked about grabbing women by their private parts, and he could get away with it because he's a celebrity. This is a man who walks into the dressing rooms of beauty contestants while they're undressing and dressing, and thinks he's got a right to do that. And so this man has no good values. He is a a, a person, he's indecent. He's a person that certainly cannot be a role model for our children or for anybody else. And so the fact that he is the president of the United States is dangerous for us all. We don't know how he's playing uh, with his powers to order striking Syria, for example, with what, over 56 missiles? 59, 59, 59 Tomahawks. Yes, we don't know. Uh, how he made the decision to drop the big bomb in Afghanistan. And I think he's playing chicken uh, with Kim over there in North Korea. And, you know, this brinksmanship, I think, should concern us all. He's been unkind to our allies. Can you imagine with uh, Chancellor Merkel sitting there saying, let's shake hands? And he turns his head away from her and not looks at her. Can you imagine him accusing China of being currency manipulators? Then he sits down and have a piece of chocolate cake with President Xi and says they're no longer currency manipulators. He makes it up as he goes along. He decides who uh, he can criticize or he can undermine and he can change his mind the next day. He does not deserve to be the president of the United States of America. And I'm going to work because I think that he absolutely colluded. I think that there's a connection, not only between him and those who did the hacking, but I think underneath this all, it's all about drilling in the Arctic. Tillerson negotiated the deal with Putin to drill in the Arctic worth billions of dollars. Tilson is not there because he desires to be the president. I mean, desires to be Secretary the of Secretary State. of State. He's there because he's gonna protect the interests of Exxon and get that deal moving. They've already tried to get some waivers in the Black Sea right, part right. of that, you know? Well,
0: Congressman, yeah. I, gotta, I, I, yeah. I gotta ask you because yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you leveled a whole lot of <laughs> accusations out there about collusion and hacking and yeah, all of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, have you seen anything either intelligence briefings, through intelligence briefings, anything to back up any of the accusations that sure. you've made.
1: Well, first of all, don't forget that all of our intelligence agencies said, yes, they have the documentation that they did the hacking. The hacking. On the DNC. Right. And on some of us, you know, that had But the collusion, though. No, we have not. And that's why the investigations are so important to drill down and to connect those dots and to get the facts. What we have is a lot of smoke that causes us to want to know more about what has happened. Why is it there's so many people around him are connected to oil? Why is it that Michael Flynn, who evidently has a great relationship with Putin, uh, who has received payments for so-called speeches and who have spent a lot of time in Russia and was accused of talking about sanctions. He lied about it and he got caught. You
0: know in announcing his executive order on religious freedom, President Trump actually said that uh, he touted civil rights as an example of, quote, "progress from the pulpit." What do you what do you make of, or how do you feel about President Trump using the civil rights movement, even invoking the name Martin Luther King to tout what he did in terms of religious freedom, that executive order he signed?
1: Well, you know, as I've attempted to explain, this president will say anything that comes to his mind. He knows little about history. He certainly doesn't know anything really about civil rights. I think one of the things he's doing is he is of course aligning himself with and playing with the right wing who have always wanted to make sure that they could open up uh, the church uh, to do more politics and to keep their 501c3 exemption in doing that. He's carrying out uh, some kind of commitment he may have made, or at least he've talked to them about it. This is what they want, and this is what he's willing to do. And he will tie it to civil rights or whatever comes to his mind. Uh, Don't forget, you know, everybody's talked about the statements that he made about Andrew Jackson. Uh, Don't forget, there was another conversation that took place. About um, Frederick
0: Douglass. Frederick Douglass. <laughs> yeah, Frederick Douglass. And his Black History Month that's right. listening thing he, in he the Roosevelt Room. He seemed to have
1: thought that he was somebody working in the Black community who was doing a good job, and. Uh, you know, that's an example of his lack of knowledge or understanding or even care about what's happening in the black community or with civil rights. He doesn't know.
0: So in addition to pushing really hard for the yes. impeachment of uh, President <laughs> Trump, the other thing that you're working, you're the ranking member on financial that's services. Right. And, you know, they're between trying to take a hammer to Dodd-Frank yes. or getting rid of the CFPB, Consumer, right. Consumer Financial, financial Protection, Protection, Bureau. Protection Bureau. That's right. You've got your hands full. I do. How how much work is involved in doing that? I mean...
1: A lot of work. A lot of work is involved in being the ranking member of financial services.
0: But in terms of beating back the, the attempts to undo the work yes. of the Obama administration in that regard.
1: Oh, well, let me just tell you, I've spent the last two days fighting back on the so-called choice bill uh, that is Mr. Hinterland's centerpiece of what he's using to undo all of Dodd-Frank reforms and to undo basically what Obama had a great role in helping to do to ensure that our consumers have some kind of protection and not let Wall Street run rapid through this uh, Congress, as they've done for so many years. And so a lot of that has to do with not only what Mr. Henselin, who is the chair of that committee, is attempting to do, but Trump himself. Trump appears to want to do everything that he can to get rid of, to dismantle the work of uh, President Obama. And not only has he said he was the worst president, but uh, this health care, Obamacare, as it is known, this is very important for him to dismantle. Uh, Not only did he promise he was going to do it, but he is putting everything on the line. They're up on the floor now with their version of undoing Obamacare. And he's been working for days. At first, they were turned back. The Freedom Caucus Mm -hmm. basically, you know, Made its demands. The ones who are a little bit more moderate did not go along with it. I don't know what he's promised them, what he's giving them, but they're going to pay a big price uh, for trying to dismantle Obamacare. And they're lying to the people about what's in their bill. Well, oh, why don't you call it Trump care? Well, that's what we've started to do. We've started uh, to call it Trump care. And many people are doing it on the floor today.
0: No, I know you You got to get to vote. I yes. have to I can't let you go without asking yes. you this question. You've, you've been in the opposition your entire life. Anti-maxine that yes. millennials are rallying yes. around has yes. always been there. Yes. Um, you've been fighting conservatives because of their agenda. You've yes. been fighting white liberals because yes. of their exclusion. And you've been doing it here on the hill since 1990. Is all of that ha- is that has it been energizing? Has it been exhausting? And which is the harder fight?
1: Well, let me just say that uh, I truly believe in fairness. I truly believe in justice. And I truly believe that we have a responsibility to really help deal with a better quality of life for the least of these. And so I'm oftentimes moved uh, when I see injustice and I see uh, people being taken advantage of or ignored, or I see our systems that have evolved in this office literally excluding people, you know, from participation in some very harmful ways. So that's what drives me. And I do have a lot of energy, and you're right. I've had it all my life, but let me tell you something that's very strange about all of this. When I graduated from high school, my yearbook predicted that someday I would be the speaker of the House of Representatives. Mm. Is that weird or not? what?
0: It's weird. You came very close. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but the millennials mm-hmm. uh, are experiencing me for the first time. Don't forget, these are very young people. I've been around for a long time. And from the time that I you know, first ran for office as an organizer and a legislator, working in public housing projects, working with gang members uh, and working, you know, fighting back police chief Daryl Gates, you know, on the way that he, you know, was undermining our community. They don't know about any of that. As a matter of fact, there are a couple of um, movies out, I guess. One is uh, Los Angeles 92. LA 92.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: then they tell me Geographic uh, has something that's right. out Right, National Geographic has I haven't as seen well. either one of them. Uh, but people are saying, oh, my God. Even some of my colleagues, I just saw you in this uh, video that was done or this movie that was done. And so what happened was this. I went to the uh, the California legislature, served in the assembly with Willie Brown, Mm -hmm. had a great time, great learning experience. You know, I was able to do a lot of good legislation, good public policy. When Gus Hawkins retired, it was just assumed that I would run for his seat. We were in the same area. I did. I came here, they put me on the old banking committee almost as punishment because members were fleeing that committee because there was a big scandal that was going on at that time. And so I got stuck there and I had the opportunity to work under some great people. And so it took me away from some of the old stuff that I've been doing for so many years. And so there is a gap between my real activism and where I am now reactivated Uh, because of Trump. And that's what the millennials are experiencing for the first time. And again, like perhaps you suspect, they just like hearing what they believe is speaking truth to power. And so they think that I am, as they are describing me, that aunt, that relatives that comes to your house as <laughs> one somebody described and just tell you, clean up this place. What's wrong with you all? Why aren't you doing this? And you know, you should be taking care of this. And that's kind of how they see me. Yeah. Well,
0: I mean, I think that the piece that put you that yeah. really put you on the map was yeah. the piece in Elm. L- L.com by Keith, Eric, uh, R Eric Thomas. That's right. And my favorite description of you (laughs) by uh, written by him in response to that epic 21 second press conference (laughs) you did after uh, talking to Comey. And we haven't even talked about him. We don't have time. But uh, Eric Thomas writes. I've never seen anything like this outside of a family reunion. Congresswoman (laughs) Waters is definitely that auntie who got rich selling Avon and doesn't really like your father or any of the any of these low rent people. But you sit by her, but you sit by her so that she can stage whisper critiques with a mouthful of potato salad. How accurate is that?
1: Well, you know, I love him and I love his creativity. And the time that I've spent with him, I said, tell me how you think like this. Tell me how you've learned to write like this. And where did Elle find you? And on and on and on. And it's natural. I mean, this just comes from within. This is how he thinks. He's very descriptive in ways that most people are not. And Elle found that extremely energizing and interesting and provocative and all of that. And so they scooped him up. And he's having a great time. And it's it's wonderful because what they have discovered is he has a certain appeal to other millennials. And they like... Him, and he's one of the ones that I think have been producing some of this new language that they're teaching me, like shade and stay woke. (laughs) (laughs) Stay stay woke and
0: shade are are not new, but maybe you haven't haven't heard of the word shade because it's just naturally in you. Congresswoman Maxine Waters of California, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're
1: welcome. Thank you for being here. Enjoy talking to you. You Let's do this again. Oh, absolutely. Okay, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. You know what? Do me a favor. Subscribe and then rate and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ.